0: Dear Lord in heaven, we thank thee for this time we have together here in this place. We're reminded through the songs that we sing, through the the words we hear of the things that matter, the eternal things, thy blood that was shed for us, dear Jesus, the promise that is waiting for all those that trust in that blood, that are faithful to the end. The assurance that we have, that we can be content in everything, in much and in little. Dear Father, we truly have so many riches in Christ Jesus, and it's so good to be reminded of that. We need this. We need to come under the hearing of thy word. We need this food for our souls. Dear Father, please bless us a little bit more this afternoon hour. Speak to us from thy living and thy powerful word. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. I'd like to continue on in James the Epistle of James chapter 1 <clears throat> Last time we read to verse 18 so I'd like to continue reading with verse 19. James chapter 1, verse 19. Wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. For the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. Wherefore, lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness, and receive with meekness the engrafted word he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. If any man among you seem to be religious and bridleth not his tongue, but deceiveth his own heart, this man's religion is vain. Pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this to visit the fatherless and widows in their affliction, and to keep himself unspotted from the world. I've read to the end of the chapter of James. May God bless the reading of his word. No, I hesitated to preach on this passage here. I thought James is good to, to read through. It's practical. It's it's. That's what we need, instruction for our living. But when I come to this passage, I hesitate. You know, he says somewhere else in chapter 3, my brethren, be not many masters or many teachers, knowing that we shall receive the greater condemnation. And I thought, it wouldn't be better if someone else would teach on this. And as I look at myself and I, I see my own problems with anger and my own Paucity, lack of, of charitable works, my own stains from the world. You know, there's always a hesitancy to maybe skip over something, especially when it hits close to home. But that is not, uh, that is not receiving the word of God. That's not accepting it in meekness. You can't just skip over parts that are difficult or parts that are a little bit more, um, hit a little closer to home And James has that, that way, that practical way of just simple instruction. This is probably the half-brother of Jesus, James. That it's referred to in 1 Corinthians 15 as the Lord specifically appeared to him. That in, during his lifetime, Christ's lifetime, his brothers did not believe him. If, if you're reading, I think it's John chapter 6. And here he is now converted. And he must have really taken that Sermon on the Mount to heart. He must have heard it or had those words etched in his mind and then later brought to life as he saw the risen Lord and realized just who he was. It's interesting that, that the verse before where we began, verse 18 I looked through this epistle and it, it seems to me this verse 18 of his own will begat he us with the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures this is probably like the the most lofty or, or metaphysical statement in the, in this epistle the the, the most you know, the, the most visionary statement that is kind of mysterious I don't fully understand um all of it. But it's, it's so interesting and it's so like James that after that statement there in verse 18, he immediately says, wherefore, he transitions to something practical. He says, you know, if, if you are a first fruits of his creatures, if you are begotten by God, it's going to come out very practically in as something as basic and as simple as how you hear and what you say and how you act. It's going to come out. There, there is going to be no uh, disparity between the two. There ought to be no disparity between you being a first fruits of his creature and how you hear and how you speak and how you act. Let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. We've heard that proverb. There's a lot of truth about God gave us two ears and one mouth so that we can listen at least twice as much as we speak. There's another one I, I heard that God made the ear naturally open, the ears naturally open, but the mouth, he made a built-in closing mechanism. Lip, your lips, you can close them. And uh, that's a good advice. You can always keep your ears open. They're, they're made that way. But your mouth, it should take a bit more to speak. There should be <laughs> that. Too often it's react rather than reflect. I think we need to reflect before we speak. I think it often shows just our, where our focus really is when we get into a situation where we want to be the first one to speak or to have the last word or to kind of cut someone off or think we've heard enough and now we want to say our piece, it shows that the focus is actually really on us, that it's not on the other person or even more critically, it's not on God. Our focus is not on God. It's on my, what I, the piece that I want to say, that I want to get out. And I see it at work a lot. I sometimes fall into the trap myself too. There's a technical discussion going on or something like that. But people want to, I, I, I know the mistake you're making and I want to cut in and kind of cut this off. And When it was so much of the time, it would be better just to let the other person finish their thought, finish speaking, listen to what they have to say, reflect on it, and then say. And then when the time is right, when the thoughts are marshaled to speak, and I think it would go uh, a long way to a better and more fruitful discussion if we would have that time. It, it, today's world, things are fast. They're back and forth. It's, it's, it's quick. But James' simple instruction, you know, as he writes, as, as I mentioned before, the way that he writes, it, it's meant to stick with you. Swift to hear, slow to speak. Swift to hear, slow to speak. Simple phrase like that. Let's put that in our pockets for... For this week, for how we react how we act with other people. To let them finish speaking first. To listen. Listen to what they're saying. Most importantly, to listen to what God is saying to us before we speak. Because you know, then the next thing here it, it's kind of linked. Swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. So we have that little bit of time. That reflection then maybe you won't be so quick to an angry response or a response that, that, that does not build up or, or, or work good. This is not to say, you know, the silent types, they can be uh, susceptible to wrath too. You know, it can build up and can stir inside you, even though you don't say much, but maybe when, when you do say something or, or act, that wrath can come out. But this verse 20, we reflected, it was meditated on, on last week. The wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. And I see this is so true. I mean, we have to look in, just in the world around us, what's going on. The wrath of man does not work the righteousness of God. We have to look in, the, in families and in relationships. The wrath of man does not work the righteousness of God. I think each one of us should feel some sense of conviction and and, and even condemnation as we read these first verses here about being swift to hear and slow to speak and and our wrath not working God's righteousness. And that should prompt us to look beyond ourselves, that the answer is not within ourselves. We can't just simply act better and, and, and be better people. That's why James goes here in verse 21. Wherefore, lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness and receive with meekness the engrafted word, which is able to save your souls. It is the word, the engrafted word, the the word he uses there. Think of a a plant, you know, where something else is brought into it. Another plant is grafted into it. It's not from within us. God's word is not something we produce ourselves or the, or the, the, the fruit of it, the, the, the fruit of the spirit is not, doesn't come from us. It comes from his word being grafted into us, having root in us. It has to be from outside of ourselves. We cannot save ourselves. It has to be the engrafted word. And how do we receive it? The first and the most basic thing is to hear it. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God, Romans 10 says. Receive with meekness, kind of equal with be swift to hear. You know, it's got that listen, be actively listening to God's word. Receive with meekness the engrafted word. So that's the first thing, hear it, listen to God's word. Both in your private meditations and and when we come together and share God's word. I'm thinking of the first part of the verse here. Wherefore, lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness. There's some, some words there that, that um, are pretty descriptive if you think about them. And they really point to, you know, we cannot be in open or in rampant sin in our lives and expect to hear God clearly. That's not the way God's word works. He, God's word can convict us. Can convict us in those situations where we're very far from Him and where we're steep, we're deep in sin and in, in the mire. But if we want to hear God's word clearly, if we want uh, uh, help from this being swift to hear and slow to speak and slow to wrath, we have to put aside all that filthiness, that superfluity, that it's like this overabundance of evil that will just get into everything and mess everything up. I'm reminded of if you were trying to have a, um, a conversation with your loved one, a, a deep and an intimate conversation with your loved one in a place like a nightclub where there's this loud thumping music and every, you know, all the nuance, all the tone, even words are obliterated by that noise. That it, that's how it is with this filthiness and, and superfluity of naughtiness. It obliterates the clarity with which I can hear God. It has to be put aside. Wherefore, lay apart. And even that, oh, we need God's help to do that. It's not a matter of, of, of me exercising enough willpower. But James, in his practical, practical way, he wants, wants us to understand clearly that it's not enough just to hear God's word. In verse 22, but be ye doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. This is the same word that Jesus spoke. There's no difference. Some, some people, you know, I don't know, they cast dispersions on James, or it's a gospel of straw was, was one uh, epithet that was thrown around. But they are the same words as Jesus. They're how he concludes the Sermon on the Mount. when He says, whosoever hears my word and does not do it is like he whose house is built on a on sand but he who hears my word and does it he's the house that's built on the rock blessed are they that hear the word of God and keep it was his response all those people that came and heard him heard the message and he had to say to them the Ninevites are going to rise up in judgment against this generation the queen of Sheba is going to rise up in judgment against this generation because you heard and you didn't do you didn't repent It's the same word that Jesus spoke. And I have to think, you know, even every sermon we don't necessarily reference the blood of Jesus or maybe specifically mention the the sacrifice of Jesus and what he did. But his sacrifice, his death on the cross, his resurrection is really what gives all of these words power. If if there was no death and and, and resurrection, if there was no crucifixion, these words would just be nice words. They would have no power. They would just be some good teaching. We hear, oh, he was another good teacher. He has some really... But no, it's because of what he did. It was not only that he spoke, but that he did. That these words that we read have power. That the words that James, he doesn't specifically mention, the crucifixion here and anywhere... In, in this epistle, as far as I know, maybe I have to study a little bit more, but that's what's undergirding it. It is the blood of Jesus Christ that is undergirding and making these words power, and that makes it possible for you to hear them and to do them. That makes this not just a theoretical exercise, that there is real power in this word, this engrafted word, this incorruptible seed that, that uh, Peter says in 1 Peter, that that we are born again by this incorruptible seed, this word of God, which lives and abides forever. That's how precious this word is. But be doers of the word and not hearers, only deceiving your own selves. For if any be a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is likened to a man beholding his natural face in a glass, and this is a, a mirror, for he beholdeth himself and goeth his way, and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he is. He was. I had a friend who has a who had a poetic bent, and he said this this analogy here haunted him of being uh, looking in the mirror, seeing who you are, and then going away and forgetting who you are. And it is pretty arresting. You think, especially in those old days, that those mirrors, they had their, their polished metal weren't perfect reflection. You had to study a bit had to see who you are. Kind of, okay, that's what it is. But then to forget. And, and God's word is a mirror. It really tells us, it shows us who we are. That's our job as, as um, preachers and ministers of God's word is just to hold up God's word for, for you to see who you are, to help you see what it says not to make up anything ourselves. But the the beauty and the power of God's word is not just that it shows you how you are and as you are, but it gives you hope. It gives you the way out. Verse 25, But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty, what a wonderful phrase, the perfect law of liberty, of freedom. This word is the word of, The rule of freedom. Whoso looketh into the perfect law law of liberty, and here's the key, continueth therein. You persist in it. Being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed you and I just simply need to do. We need to try to do. As, as inadequate as we feel, as, as, um, and we should feel inadequate, as, as, uh, as much as we feel failures and that we don't measure up, we need to do. We need to start to do. Because that's going to reveal my desperate need for God's grace when I do not measure up, that I fail. And it's going to show, it's going to give the power to overcome. That's not, an, not of myself. The one who just, you you have a serious miscalculation. My friend and my brother and sister, if you think you can just hear the word of God and go away and not do what is said here, even more so to me, if I do not do the things that I preach, do not try, do not submit myself to God, to, Lord, I know I'm deficient. Lord, I know I'm weak in this area. Help me to do And as I do, as I submit myself to that, I will be blessed. I will stop forgetting so often, Sunday after Sunday, what I heard, and then it goes out quickly. It will start to take root. It will be a law of liberty to me. It will be a law of freedom to me, as I start to do. Not to earn my salvation, not to rack up points with God. The blood of Jesus Christ puts that all to rest. It's not that at all. James, he has a way of just cutting the feet out from under you if you think you're too proud or you're too puffed up or you're too lofty. You just, you heard God's word, now go do it. Let that be a test. And this summation, these final two verses of this chapter, uh, to me... Um, Maybe that's the biggest lump in my throat. If any man among you seem to be religious and bridleth not his tongue, but deceiveth his own heart, this man's religion is vain. You know, that's been popular in the last while to denigrate the word religion, you know, that, oh, you know, that someone came up with a book, The End of Religion or something like that. And the word religion is not in and of itself, you look at how James uses it in these two verses, it's not bad. The problem is if, the word, if, if religion is only a word, if it's just talk, if it's just uh, 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 what we say and it's not what we do, that's where religion becomes vain religion. That's where things become empty. I mean, we can see very clearly in our daily interactions with people and in business and in in. We can see the, the difference between talking and doing. You know, the person who talks big and yet doesn't do, you kind of, okay, after a while, that person's a reputation. But does it apply to me in my religion, my, what I think about God, what I, how I act, uh, how I claim to love him? Is it just words? Is it just what I come to hear and, and say or sing? Is there any doing? James just gives a simple simple test here, very well balanced. He says, pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this. He says, you want some bullet points you can take with you? Two simple things. Visit the fatherless and widows in their affliction. Charity, gen- genuine charity, pure charity, not arm's length, not um, I gave my money and that's good enough. Visit means connection, knowing. I'm very deficient in that category. And the other test here is to keep himself unspotted from the word, world. Your chastity, your purity. The marks of the world, the stain of the world. Are there stains from the world on you? The, the way that you, th- you think and act? Yes, appearance has something to do with it, but it really starts here in the heart. The way that I think and and my priorities, are they stained by the world system? What it says is important, the values, the things, the good job, the, the comfortable life, the security. Are they stained by it or are they pure and undefiled, my garments? You know, all these things are done before God. Pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father. They're done before him and for him out of love. Not a sense of, of guilt or that we um, haven't done enough and we've got to do some more. I've got to do some more charitable works because I haven't done enough. It is done before God because we love him, because of what he has done for us, because of the blood of Jesus that was shed these are really simple words, you know. Receive the word. Hear it. Act on it. Do it. Don't be like someone who sees their face in a mirror and then turns away and forgets. Really simple. And that, that's the test. That's going to be the test this coming week. What we heard this morning about contentment and resting in God and, and, and being content in the midst of abundance or little bit. How we love other people. The defenseless, the fatherless, and the widows, those in affliction, and how we relate to the world around us, the world that hates God, the world that doesn't want anything to do with God, that is opposed to him, that is actively fighting against him, is it going to stain us, or are we going to remain pure and undefiled this week by the word that washes and renews? May this word um, be convicting to us, but also be encouraging to us that it is by the engrafted word which is able to save our souls, that we are able to walk in, in God's truth. It's a convicting passage that we read. If we were swift to hear what the Holy Spirit had to say, that mirror of God's Word holding, being held up to ourselves to show where we say big things and we don't do them, where we don't live the way uh, God's Word instructs us to. But It's an encouraging word, too. It is this same Word that convicts us that also gives us the power as we believe it, as we believe in the living Word, Jesus Christ, Follow his example. He is the one that gives us the power to do. I think it's one fifty-nine that says, Then well so love's pure glow gives how does it go? Our faith the power to do. Love it should grow anew each morning. Love itself and works should show. Should each member be adorning Christ in us, where'er we go, then well so. Love's pure glow gives to faith the power to do. There's one anecdote maybe we can close with. There was uh, someone who missed the service and was coming to come to church here in the foyer. I don't think this happened here. Uh, and someone just came out, and, and the first person asked what, is, is the this, is this sermon done already? And the one who's coming out said, no, it's all said, but it has not yet begun to be done. And that's how it is with you, brother, sister, and friend. It's all been said now. Now it needs to be done. With that, we commend you to God's grace.